Our Heavenly Father, we thank You for our dads. We thank You for the, uh, the input they've had into our lives, what they've meant to us, Father. And I pray for each one of us here. Even if our childhood wasn't the best in the world, we still thank You. We thank You for uh, whoever it was that was the father figure in our lives who raised us. But Lord, thank You for protecting us and guiding us and directing us through the lives of godly men. And Lord, thank You most of all for being our Father knowing that when we put our faith and our trust in you, that we enter into this relationship of father to son, father to daughter. And Lord, we thank you for that. Lord, I pray for the remainder of our service, that you would guide our thoughts and our decisions. And Lord, as we look into your word, that you would challenge us. And we thank you, Lord, for all the blessings that you give us. And we just praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Why don't you all be seated? Now, you may have noticed that um, one of our air conditioning units in here is not working, and it's supposed to be getting the parts in and be fixed this week. But uh, we are keeping the lights dim, trying to keep it cool in here. So just bear with us, okay? But next week, this should be, should be fixed. How many of you have ever wondered or thought about what it would be like if you were born the opposite sex? Uh, ladies, you ever thought about being a man? You ever thought about if you were a man or a father or a son, how would your life be different? What would it look like? And guys, have you ever thought about being your wife? You know, if they were married, if you were married to yourself, what would that be like? <laughs> you know, but uh, to be a mother, to be a woman in this world, what would it be like? Now, I got to tell you, I'm a little bit prejudiced. I still think that it's better to be a man. I guess that's good <laughs> because that's what I am. But here are some reasons why I believe that it is good to be a man. Okay, so keep that in mind. Here's the reasons why it's good to be a man. If you're a man, phone conversations are over in 30 seconds flat if you're a man. If you are, if you are a man, five-day vacations require only one suitcase. Now, that's a good thing. If you are a man, gray hair and wrinkles only add to your character. If you are a man and another man shows up at a party in the same outfit as you, you can still be friends. If you are a man, you can go to the bathroom without a support group. I've never figured that one out, girls. I don't know. Maybe you can tell us why it is you have to go in teams, but whatever. If you are a man, you can drop by to see a friend without bringing a gift. If you are a man, you have one wallet, one pair of shoes, one color for all seasons. That's all you need. If you are a man, your pals can be trusted never to say or ask you this question. So, notice anything different about me. If you are a man, if something mechanical doesn't work, you can bash it with a hammer and throw it across the room. And if you are a man, you can do your nails with a pocket knife. So I just think it's better to be a man. And, uh, and yeah, you agree with me, right? Now, listen, when it comes to being a father, I believe that dads are concerned about their children as much as mothers. We always talk about a mother's love, and that is true. And I acknowledge that and agree with that. But sometimes I believe that we dads get a bad rap because we don't worry about children as much as mothers do. We're concerned, you know, we're concerned about their future and about their, their character and their safety and all of these things. But we don't sit around and worry about it. And sometimes that bothers mothers. Why don't you care? 
well, we do care. We just don't show it the same way that moms do. And I guess that's a good thing. I guess it takes both uh, both kinds. And, and mothers certainly are concerned to a, a degree of, of worry, whereas dads may not be. Now, don't you wish, don't you just wish that as parents, kids came with instruction books? You know, maybe there would be an instruction book somewhere that says, Congratulations, your child is now six years old. This month, here's what you need to work on. And just tell me, you know, and, and then let me do it. And then next month, here's what you need to work on. All the days of their life, uh, we have detailed instructions. Because guys like that kind of thing. Give me the detailed instructions and I can do anything. But don't leave me up there to think for myself. I don't like that, you know. But unfortunately, there's not really a detailed instruction book when it comes to parenting. Now, what we do have is this. We have the Bible, and in the Bible, we have general principles to live by. Things that if we can do as moms and dads that will make life better, make our children's lives better, make them uh, more in line with what God would have for them. So if we can... Get accustomed, I guess you could say, to looking into the scriptures and saying, okay, what guidelines does God give for me as a parent, and in particular today for me as a father, to raise my kids? What does he tell me? What is, what is there? What does he at least illustrate for me in the example of other people? And if I can learn that, if I can see that and begin to apply it, then I am way ahead of the game as far as being a good father a successful father and raising kids that are not only godly, but also kids that are responsible and kids that are able to handle life and deal with the future. So today what we're going to be doing is this. We're going to be looking at a story that Jesus told. Now this is a parable. It's called the parable of the prodigal son. It's what we've labeled it. But in reality, that's kind of... Uh, misleading because this is not a story so much about the son that went off to do his own thing, but it's about the father. It's about the father and how he responded and what he did and the things that he told his son and things that he did to his son. And in that example, at least, we learn some things. Now, the point of this parable, and we're not going to be talking about the point of it today, I'm going to be applying it differently. Jesus is in the home of a Pharisee, and he's trying to teach the Pharisees how that they are judgmental, like the older brother, as you'll see in a moment. And he's saying that my father, which is represented by the father in this parable, is this way. And the son represents all the sinners that the Pharisees didn't want to associate with and be around. And so he's trying to teach a lesson about love and acceptance and so forth, and who God is, what he's like, and who he is, and so forth. But I'm looking primarily today at the father in this story. And from that story that Jesus told, describing what God is like, basically, I want to draw from that at least some principles that we as dads might grab a hold to, something that we can sink our teeth into and help us to become better, better at parenting. So dads, as we look at this today, keep this in mind. This is an example, as Jesus tells it, of who God is and what he is like as a father. And the illustration then becomes a lesson for you and me as we become the best dads that we can possibly be. Now, folks, I know that not everybody in here is a father. I know that some of you, you know, half of you are women naturally, but this is going to apply to you as well. As a parent, this will apply to you. If you're not a parent, then someday you'll probably be a grandparent if your kids are all grown. 
and we'll talk a little bit about that. But um, keep this in mind, because somewhere down the road you can use this. You can apply this, if not in your life right now, hopefully somewhere down the line. So as we, we begin this uh, study, let me begin by asking this question. What made this father such a good example? What did he do that made him such a good example as a dad? I want to draw three things out of here that pertain to what he did that would help us as parents, as dads, to become better. Let's jump right into this. Here's number one, and we'll talk about this as we go through the text. The first thing that I see in this father's life that made him successful as a dad is this. He knew how and he knew when to let go. He knew how and he knew when to let go of his children. Now, you may be thinking, this is not all that important. Yes, it is. There are so many things that happen in the lives of of fathers and children, sons especially, where we don't know when to let go. We stunt their growth, so to speak. Be it their um, emotional growth, their spiritual growth, whatever. We get in the way. Because we don't know how to raise them to get them ready, to make them responsible in order to leave. And so I want to see, as we look at this passage, this father knowing how and when to let go of his son. Let me jump in here, if you will. In Luke chapter 15, we're going to be looking, first of all, verses 11 through 19. Let me read through this and then make a few comments, then I want to make some applications. Verse 11, it says that Jesus continued. He said, there was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Now, not long after that, the younger son got together all he had and set off for a distant country. And there he squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in the whole country. And he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. Now look at the passage and let me point out a few things. This father has two sons. We'll be introduced to the second one here in a minute. The youngest one comes to him. He says, I want to leave home. I have no idea how old this son is. That's not important. What's important is he comes and basically asks for his portion of the estate. So his father takes and he divides between his two sons all that they are due. And he gives it to his son, I'm guessing in cold cash, you know. Whatever the land is worth, the livestock, we're going to divide it up. Here's your portion. And it says that he went into a distant country and there he squandered it on loose and wild living. And he finds himself with nothing. Now, as we focus in on this dad, I want to focus in on the fact that this dad is the one that somehow knew when and how to let the kid go. Not once, does the, or at least as recorded in this, in the story that Jesus tells, not once does he ever object to the son's leaving. 
Now, I've got to believe that he did. It's just not there. I mean, this is a story that Jesus obviously is, is making up. But wouldn't you think that a father in that situation would at least object? Well, don't you think he would say, now, wait a minute, son, this is foolishness. You don't want to lose all of your money. You don't want to squander it away. Whatever he might have said to his son, but the son still said, look, dad, I'm of age and I need to go. And his dad knew that he had to let him go. So he does. He gives him his share and he lets him go. Now, guys, I know for, for a father, this was very difficult. But yet at the same time, it shows that the father is saying to the son, Whatever age you may have been, I have confidence in you. I have confidence that you know what to do and that you'll make the right decision. Now, he didn't, but at least by doing this, the father is saying to his son, I trust you. And if you fail, then we'll deal with that later. I don't know that he said that, but in the back of his mind, that's got to be at least there in the back of his mind. Now, you know what? When it comes to dads, some dads expect their children to fail. They expect it. Every time the child wants to do something, you can't do that. You're not able. You're not old enough. You'll make a mess of it. You'll break it. You're, you'll get hurt. They never, ever show any confidence in their sons or their daughters, either one. They expect them to fail. Now, when we lived up in Indiana... A guy comes into my office one day, and he's having some family problems. Him and his, his dad, he's having trouble with his dad. And this is a guy who has two children, small children of his own. And he begins to tell me the story of how he was raised. Now, his dad's there in the church, too. His whole family's in the church. And so he began to tell me. He said, you know, Dave, I was raised on the farm like everybody else up here. And... Um, all my life, I asked my dad, Dad, let me learn how to drive that tractor. Let me learn how to drive the combine. Let me learn how to work in the fields. Let me do what you do. Let me learn. And all the time, his dad's telling him, you can't do it. You can't do it. You don't know how. You'll make a mess of things. You'll end up costing me money. I'm not going to let you. He said, I would go to school and kids my age, I'm talking junior high school kids and, and high school kids are learning from their fathers. To work the farm. They're learning how to drive the combines. I'm talking $100,000 combines. Harvesting corn out of a thousand acre uh, farm. And, and they're learning how to do that. He said, but not me. Because my dad didn't trust me. My dad kept telling me I couldn't do it. As I got older, I told dad, I said, let me buy this farm from you. Whenever you're ready to sell it, let me have first dibs on it and sell it to me. He said, here's the reason I'm in here talking to you, because two weeks ago, my dad sold the farm to somebody else. And the reason basically is this. He said, I don't know what I'm doing. I've never done it. I can't do it. I'll make a mess of it. I'll lose the farm and he won't get his money. So he sold it to somebody else. He said, you know, I don't know what to do. I don't know what to think. And we talked about that. But, but the more I, I heard this and the more I learned from from what he, he told me, the more I realized that so many of his problems stemmed from that father. Now, this man, we'll call him Joe, was having trouble in his marriage. because, And here's the major reason why. Joe basically was trying to demand respect from his wife that he never got at home. Let me be a man. Let me prove myself. Let me do type thing. And it caused so much trouble in the marriage. Even with his children, the same situation, friendships, whatever. 
All because a dad wouldn't trust and have confidence in his son enough to let him grow up or to know when to let him grow up. So naturally, when he becomes an adult, no, he's not ready for the farm because you didn't raise him that way. You know, Daz, let me tell you something. We may think at times that our overprotection of our children is a good thing. Now, please understand where I'm coming from, because I'm not saying throw them to the wolves. I'm not saying put them out there and let something bad happen to them. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying in a controlled environment, start letting go of the reins. Start letting go of your control. Start letting go of responsibility because you are trying to get them ready to leave. And I'm going to tell you something. Overprotection is a form of rejection. You get that? that? Overprotection is a form of rejection. Because I'm basically saying to you, you're not smart enough. You can't handle it. And so I'm going to take care of this and protect you from it. And then when they're of age to leave home, they're not ready because you haven't prepared them. You say, okay, then what do you do when something is so dangerous? It might hurt them. My, my son or my daughter wants to do something and it's dangerous. Well, again, I'm not saying put them out there in danger. But I'm saying to control the environment, to set the stage, to, to the, the times when they are able, take those opportunities to prepare them to face the more dangerous tasks in life. I don't think that Joe's dad should have thrown him into a $100,000 combine. But I think that somewhere along the line when he was raising him, he should have taught him how to do it. Until at some point, like other young men his age, could have gotten into this big old thing and driven it into the fields and done a wonderful job because dad took the time to take the chance on me to teach me how to do it. And he didn't smother me. You know, I believe that in those controlled environments when they're growing up, when we as dads take on the responsibility of letting them have the, the, the opportunity to putting them out there when, when, you know what, there's a little bit of danger, but I'm controlling it. I think that this is where we set the stage for growth. And we keep them in a, in a safe environment so when they make their, their mistakes at home with us, they're not life-threatening. And somehow we don't understand that we, we as parents, and this is true sometimes of moms, we want to smother them, smother them, smother them. And all of a sudden, they're leaving home. They're going off to college and we're thinking, I haven't prepared you. Well, of course not, because you overprotected them. You know, when my son Brian, we were raising him and it was like eight years between him and my two girls. So basically I had an only child. For the first eight years, you know, with Brian, I I let Brian do a lot of things. You know, we had, um, well, it came time for he was like 12 or 13 years old. Daddy, let me drive the car. Why not? Now, I don't mean out on the highway, but why not? Why not start now at 12 or 13? So we'd go to the church parking lot, and we started in in Deb's car that was an automatic, and he learned how to drive this. I told him all about how to do it. When you get out on the road, here's what you do. I said, now here's what you need to do. You need to learn how to drive my truck, which at that time was a stick shift. So I said, okay, we're going to teach you how to do that. So 12 or 13, we're out there learning how to do that. 
So he learned how to drive early, way before he ever got a permit or a driver's license. I had several guns in the house. A shotgun or twenty-two, a pistol. Hey, Dad, let's go shoot the guns. Ten or eleven years old. All right, let's go. So we would go down back, you know, we lived in Duncanville at the time. This is back when Joe Poole Lake was just a, a thought at the time. It wasn't there. We'd go out to what's now covered by water, and we would go out and shoot. We'd shoot anything that moved. We were out in the country. If a bird flew over, bang, bang, he's dead. You know, God forbid a rabbit should run across the field. You know, which, but he learned how to shoot. He could handle it. It was about probably 13, I guess, when we finally got to go on our first deer hunt. A guy in our church took us down to the border, and we hunted. I'm sitting in a blind by myself, and we put Brian in one, and and, and my friend is in the other, and all of a sudden I hear Brian shoot. I'm thinking, oh dear God, I hope he didn't shoot himself. (laughs) Then a little while later, I hear about three other shots. Pow, 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 pow! I run over there, and it's this poor little Bambi-type doe just dead on the ground. He shot her once, climbed down out of the stand, was so excited, went over and unloads his gun on her, you know. But he learned, you see. He was learning how to shoot. You know, tools. You know, at an early age, Brian had these little toy tools he just loved to play with. So it wasn't long before I stuck a real hammer in his hand. And here's some real nails, and here's some real boards. Go out there and just beat yourself to death and have a good time. Here's how you use a saw. I showed him how to use the saw early on. And I didn't have a lot of power tools, but a drill we had and a skill saw. Here's what you do. You're not going to do it by yourself, but here's how you do it. Now, let me see you do it. And I taught him how to do these things. He wanted to buy a go-kart one time. And as he's like 13, maybe 12, I'm thinking, all right. So we buy a go-kart. I pay like 100 bucks for this go-kart. It's, it's on its last leg. I know that, but we got it anyway. And where we lived over there was a community with homes that backed up to each other with a, a paved alley down between them where the garbage truck would go up and down and get the garbage and people could pull into their rear entry homes. And in our particular home, we had an alley behind us, but there were no homes on the other side. It was just like a vacant field. Perfect place. I said, here's where we're going to ride the go-kart. And so we, I taught him how to ride it and everything, and he got his friends. I mean, little guys out there on the go-kart zipping up and down this alley all day long. Pretty soon, one of the neighbors come over. And he said, listen, he said, I live down at the end of the alley, and my driveway is at the end of the alley, and my driveway is gravel. And your son is taking his go-kart, turning donuts at the end of this alley in my driveway, and he's tearing it all to pieces. I said, okay, I'll send him down. He'll fix it. So Brian comes in and I say, listen, here's the shovel and here's the rake. Mr. So-and-so down here lives in that house where you've been doing donuts in his driveway. You go down there, knock on the door and tell him you're there to fix his driveway. Aren't you going with me? No, I didn't mess it up. Take off. So he takes off. He has to learn responsibility. If you're going to have the go-kart, then you have to learn responsibility. Driving the boat. Bought an old boat one time. Had a 70 horsepower motor. So this thing would scoot across the water pretty good. I mean, he's 11 years old. Dad, let me drive the boat. All right. Teach you how to drive the boat. How to do this and all these things. What you got to watch out for. Pretty soon, I'm sitting over there in the other seat eating a sandwich saying, Drive on, son. Let's go fishing. And everywhere we went in the boat, he drove because I taught him how to do it. Now, 
guys, what I'm saying is this. A controlled environment where you start letting go. You've got to know when and you've got to know how to do it, but you've got to do it. Here's just a little side note. My son right now is the head of the criminal investigative department over in Ellis County, the sheriff's department. When he called me a year or so after high school, he says, I'm going to go to police academy. I want to be a policeman. He went to the police academy, and as he went through this academy in his class, when it came to the driving skills and the shooting skills, he was number one in his class in both of those. Now, see, I want to take credit for that. He won't give it to me. He'll think it's all him. But I'm going to take credit for that because at an early age, I started teaching him how to do these things, and I started letting go. Like I said, he's going to claim credit, but don't you believe it? It's all me. (laughs) Now, here's something I've noticed as a grandparent, because I now he has two kids and I have grandchildren. I am, or I was, even in spite of all that I've told you, I was more protective of my children than I am my grandchildren. I've noticed this about me. And I think the reason is this, because I've realized after raising three kids, they're going to make it. You know, it's okay to let go. It's okay to, to, to let them have these freedoms and they'll survive. They're resilient. And I don't think parents realize that when you're going through it. But I realize it now. And now I've got two grandkids. Now, when Hunter was like eight or ten, Papa, let me shoot the gun. Sure. Let's go shoot the gun. Let me drive. Sure. Now I've got a big bass boat with a 150 on it. Let me drive the boat. Sure, not a problem. I showed him how to do it. I said, why don't you drive it up on the trailer? So he drove it up on the trailer. I'm going to take the bass boat off. Why don't you get in the truck and pull it up there and park it in that parking space? He said he could do that. And then I told him, I said, now, Hunter, when you're at Grandpa's house, it's kind of like being at Las Vegas. What happens at Grandpa stays at Grandpa's, okay? Because I know that Mama's not going to like this. So we're not going to lie about it, but we don't have to volunteer the information, okay? So just to say this, you know what? Kids are resilient, and kids need to start learning how to do things early on. And Dad, it's up to you to let go. Somebody once told me, I think it was in a seminar on parenting. I I forgot who said this to me, but I've never forgotten it. He said this. He said, when it comes to your children, don't ever say no unless you have to. Here's what he meant by that. Do you know how many times, Dad, think about this, how many times your kids ask you for something or ask for you to let them do something and you say no? And if you were to ask yourself, why did I say no? There would be no good reason for it. You're thinking to yourself, well, you might get hurt. Well, maybe. You might break something. Yeah, maybe. Basically, I don't want to get up off the couch and help you. That's what we're saying. No. And here's something, if you will begin to change in the way you do parenting, would help you so much. Just don't say no unless you just have to. Unless it's something so outlandish, so dangerous that you just have to. But when kids are ready to start learning something and they're asking to do something, you figure out a safe way to teach them. Because dads, remember that what you're doing is you're raising them to leave home. You're raising them to leave. And here's where I think we as parents fail. My job as a parent is to protect you. 
And we protect them and protect them and protect them until they are ready to leave home, but they're not really prepared. And folks, let me tell you something. You, you want them to leave home, okay? My biggest fear is they'd go out and multiply and come back and live with me. It hasn't happened. I thank God for that. But you've got to prepare them. You've got to get them ready to leave. Let me read you this. It says, in 1968, there was a Harvard psychologist named Robert Rosenthal. He published a study which has now become very famous. It studied the impact that teachers have on students according to their expectations of those students. He did an experiment. He took a group of kindergarten through fifth grade students, and he gave them all a test. The next fall, their new teachers were casually given the names of five or six of the students that were high achievers according to this test. Those people were given that little, I'm sorry, those people were given that title supposedly based on the test they had had the previous year. The only problem was what they didn't know was that the test was rigged. Those children who had been labeled high achievers and smart and intelligent were simply chosen at random. There was no basis for the labeling. At the end of the year, the students were retested, and with amazing results, the amazing results were that the students whom the teachers thought had the most potential, they just thought they did, had actually outscored everyone else in the class and had gained as many as 15 to 27 points on their IQ test in one year. The teachers described these children that they thought were high achievers as happier, more curious, more affectionate, and having a better chance of achieving later in life. But the only change during the year was the attitude of the teachers toward those kids. Because they had been led to expect more from certain students, the students came to expect more from themselves. The teachers communicated their positive expectations in terms of their tone of voice, their facial expressions, and even touch and posture. Do you understand what they're saying? They're saying that because these teachers were led to believe these students were different, they then treated them differently. And because they treated them differently with higher expectations, the students did better. Now, Dad, let's take that and apply it to our lives with our own children. That if you expect more from them, give them more freedom, teach them, and express confidence in them, that you know what? I think they'll rise to the occasion. I think that they'll become the people that you really expect them to be. But as parents, and especially dads, if what we do is say to our kids, like my friend in Indiana, Indiana, you can't do this. You don't know how. You're not smart enough. You're not ready. You're not old enough. You'll make a mess of it. You'll break it. And you know what? If that's all they ever hear in life, then they'll rise to that level and no further. Dad, you're preparing them to leave. What do you do if they fail? What do you do if you give them all this responsibility and they shatter your, your trust, they take advantage of your confidence? Well, then we come to the second point in the story. And that is that even though there may be discipline in this particular situation, maybe you choose to, to do something, the main thing is this, and this is what we learn from this father, is that you love them 
and that you forgive them anyway. Even when they fail. Look at the story in Luke chapter 15, looking at verses 20 through 24. So the son, he got up and he went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, he threw his arms around him, and he kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. and Bring the fatted calf and kill it and let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Man, what a, what a response. This dad says here in verse uh, 20, he says, When the son was still a long way off, the father saw him. You can just imagine this. This dad's been looking for this boy all this time. He's been expecting him to come home, not necessarily as a failure, but to come back home sometime. And he's always been looking for him. And when he comes back and he says to his dad, basically, look... I blew it. I lost all the money. I squandered it away. And now I have nothing to show for it. And I'm embarrassed. And I don't even want to really come home and face you. But here I am. And all I'm asking for is you to forgive me. And the dad goes over and beyond what a normal dad might do. What would you do in that situation? You know, the one thing that it doesn't say in here that the dad ever said to him, the dad never said to him, I told you so. I knew you'd blow it. Told you not to do it. You did it anyway. When are you ever going to learn? You're always making a mess of everything. Why didn't the dad say that to him? Well, do you really believe the son needed to be told that? That he didn't already know that? He had made a mess of it, sure enough. But the dad loved him unconditionally. He never said to his son, Son, you better measure up or I'm not going to accept you. But let me tell you something, dads. That's the message we convey to our kids all the time. If you can't measure up to my expectations, if you can't do it right, if you fail, you can expect all wrath to fall down on you and I'll never give you another chance. So pretty soon they stop taking chances. And they really never grow up. Is your grace reserved for those who deserve it? That's the, the way we treat people a lot of times, and especially our children. I'll be gracious to you and loving and, and accepting as long as you measure up to my expectations. It's not the way God does with us. But man, we do it with our kids, don't we? When Brian was a junior in high school, he went to work in a summer job up in Dallas in construction. They worked for a high-end um, construction company that did remodeling, like the um, Symphony Center up there, Morton Meyerson Symphony. They were remodeling, doing finished work on that. A lot of detail work. Brian loved it. He needed a pickup. So we took the car that I, he had bought early on in, his, in uh, high school and we sold it, put a little money with it and bought him a pickup, a used pickup. The deal was that I'll buy it, you pay the insurance and the gas and the upkeep. Well, it was an old truck. We didn't have collision insurance on it, just liability. He drove back and forth every day in the summertime to Dallas, downtown Dallas, driving all over the place. One day, about 10 o'clock in the morning, 
I'm at work, and he calls me and says, Dad, I had a wreck. I said, what happened? He said, I was about half asleep. I left at like 5.30 that morning to get here. And he said, I, I can't forget now whether he ran a stop sign or a red light, but it was his fault. He said, and we had a wreck. I said, are you hurt? Is anybody hurt? He said, nobody's hurt. The car was, the fender was bashed in against the wheel, but I got somebody to help me. We pulled it out, so I drove it to work. And he said, I just wanted to let you know. I said, okay. I said, we'll figure out what to do with it when you get home. Don't worry about it. That night he comes home and he tells me, he says, yeah, he said, Joe from work or whatever it was, was standing there with me when I called you. He said, what'd your daddy say? I said, my dad just told me to see me when we got home. Don't worry about it. He said, man, my dad would have raised Cain, took my truck away and everything else. And Brian said, well, he didn't. And the, the, the friend couldn't believe that somebody, a dad especially, would respond so gracefully to forgive when a son, it's his fault, pulls such a bonehead accident. But here's the deal. He knew full well the insurance wasn't going to pay for his truck. So whatever condition it's in, you've got to live with until you get the money to fix it if that's what you want to do. I'm just happy you weren't hurt. How many parents, though, wouldn't let it go? How many parents would be, I told you so? How could you be so foolish? How could you do such a dumb thing? My son didn't need to hear that. He already knew that. He felt like a complete moron for falling asleep. He didn't need that. Let me tell you something, Dad, especially dads. We struggle with forgiveness. We do. We want so much from our children. We expect so much from our children that we are not real tolerant of failure. I'm so glad God doesn't treat me that way. I'm glad He doesn't relate to me that way. But dads, we do that to our children. If you don't measure up, I will not accept you. I will not have the relationship with you that you want. And we do that all the time. And you know what is the beauty of this whole story about the prodigal son is that this father loved this son, showed his love to this son, regardless of the foolishness in the life of the son. And dads, we especially have to learn this, this secret, if you will. That it's okay to discipline when discipline is required. That's not what I'm saying. But I'm saying there needs to be forgiveness. There needs to be grace. There needs to be acceptance. Because if my kids can't learn to fail at home with me where it's safe, then what are they going to do when they get out in the world? Not everybody's going to be that way. Here's the third thing, real quick. We're running out of time. He understood the unique differences in his children. This is the third thing about him. He understood the unique differences between these two boys. Look at the rest of the story, starting in verse 25. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field, and when he came near to the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother came, uh, I'm sorry, your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has come back safe and sound. Now watch what the older brother does. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So the father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, look, all these years I have been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. 
Yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this, this son of yours who has squandered his property with prostitutes comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. Here's what the dad says. My son, the father said, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. But we have to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. Now, notice what the dad does. Look, you've got one son who's gone out and squandered his wealth. And you're loving and accepting toward him and you deal with him according to who he is. And he's learning a lesson. You're teaching him. The other son who's been very responsible and has been home and has worked hard and all of these things, you're dealing with him to try to teach him something. You've got to learn grace and forgiveness. And you're always here with me and what I have is yours and we're working as a team and all of these things. You're the responsible son. But you need to learn to forgive and to accept. Now, the dad recognized two things that I've got two different boys here, two different boys. And I've got to relate to each one differently according to who they are. Dad, let me tell you something. None of your children are the same. None of them. They're all different. And it's up to you to learn that. It's up to you to learn that you cannot deal with your daughter the way that you deal with your son. You can't even deal with the same two sons the, way, the same way because their temperaments are different. It's the way God made them. Listen to this verse. It says in Psalms 139, verses 13 through 14, it says this. For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. I know that full well. When God saw your child in the womb, that child he knew was different because God made him that way. As opposed to his brother or his sister. None is better than the other. They're both equally loved by God, but they're different. And we keep wanting to treat everybody the same. Always the same. And you can't do that. Because they're different kids. And you're going to have to learn those differences. You know what? You might get away with harsh treatment of one son. The other son, you can't do that to. The other one son, you can let go and have more liberty and more freedom. The other son, maybe you can't. But you've got to learn to do that, and you've got to learn to deal with that. Not all of your children are going to be popular in school. Not all of your children are going to be athletes in school. Not all of your children are going to be scholars. Not all of your children are grow, going to grow up with the same morality or the same integrity. They'll be different. But they'll always be your children. And Dad, you've got to learn that. You've got to see them as different. You've got to love them the same. You've got to know those differences. And I'm going to tell you something, Dad. Comparisons don't compare one against the other. Don't say, why can't you be like your brother? Why can't you be like your sister? You've got to learn how to deal with them on their level. So I leave you with that last one there, that you understand the unique differences in your children. Know when and how to let go. 
love them and forgive them no matter what they've done and learn the uniqueness of each one. I want to summarize with this one statement, and this is to dads, okay? The secret of being a great dad is to be a godly man. That's the secret, dad. If you want to be a great dad, then you need to be, first of all, a godly man. Let me read you these verses real quickly, and we're going to end here in about two minutes, okay? In Psalms 112, verses 1 and 2, listen to what it says. Praise the Lord. Blessed are those who fear the Lord, who find great delight in His commands. And watch. Their children will be mighty in the land. The generation of the upright will be blessed. Now, what's it saying? Saying, you, Dad, when you love the Lord, when you walk with Him, when you're obedient to Him, that God blesses your children. Watch this. In Proverbs 14, verse 26. Whoever fears the Lord has a secure fortress, and for their children it will be a refuge. A secure fortress? That you, Dad, are the secure fortress. Your walk with God is the security in the, child, in the life of that child. And that your child will have a refuge. One more verse, Proverbs 20, verse 7. It says, the righteous lead blameless lives. Blessed are their children after them. Dad, it's up to you. You're the example. When you walk with God, the example that you are, it permeates their lives. Dad, be that man of God. You be the man of God that you're supposed to be. And you watch how God raises and disciplines and, and, and blesses your children simply because of the example in your life. That's what God has called you to do. You be the dad that raises responsible kids. And you'll be happier for it, I guarantee you. My friend, if you're here this morning and you never put your faith in Christ, the Bible says that you're a sinner. We all know that. Everybody is. But the Bible says that because God loves you, that He sent His Son to die on a cross for you. And He did. Jesus Christ came down from heaven to earth. He died on a cross and He took all your sin upon Himself. The penalty... Of all that you have ever done or ever will do, God the Father laid on His Son the sacrifice. And He paid it. And He turns to you and me and He says basically this, that if you put your faith in Me, believe that that sacrifice was enough. Put your faith in Jesus Christ as your Savior. I'll give you as a free gift eternal life. That's God's promise. I want to extend an invitation to you that if you would like to talk about that with me further, then just meet with me after the service. And I'll be more than happy to sit down with you and talk with you about that, to answer any questions you may have. Right now, I want you to bow your heads and to close your eyes as we bring the service to a close. Dad, as you sit here this morning, and moms too, because everything that I've said applies to you equally as well, Mom. But as you sit here today, where does God want you to change? Where does God want you to be different? In, or in any of these points or illustrations that I've given, do you see yourself here? Do you see yourself making mistakes? Then right now before God, then say, Lord, this, I've blown it. I have not been the father or the parent that I should be. But I need to change in these areas, and I'm asking you to help me to do that. Give me the courage and give me the wisdom. Give me the direction but help me to be the dad I need to be.
Our Heavenly Father, as we bow here in your presence. Father, I pray for each one of us as men. Help us to be responsible and accountable to you, understanding that we are raising these children to leave home. We are raising these children to go out into the world and make a difference. Father, help us to raise our, ch- our children responsibly, that they might be mature, not only physically and emotionally, but, Father, spiritually as well. Help us to be a godly example to these kids and to raise our kids the way you would have us to, that they might live and grow up and live to honor and, and glorify you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.